today's reading is Psalm 23. You can found on page 510 of the Bible's next year seats as well as on the screen. This is God's word. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of the Lord. As we open up ourselves, our souls, our minds, our hearts to this psalm, I invite you to bow your heads and I'll open in prayer. Our God of grace, we come and sit in these chairs. We might not know a single soul here or we might know a lot of people. It might seem like everybody knows each other and is comfortable, but the truth is there's, um, there's a lot of new people, new relationships here and the truth is, if, if we could peel back the layers of who's all sitting here, we'd realize we're all in the same boat, that we're all more of a mess than we care to admit. We're more broken and um, wayward and imperfect than we ever want others to know. And we open our hearts in this time together to you and to a God who sees right through all the layers and all the defenses that we put up and all the games we play. You see right down, we can't hide from you. So you see us in our mess, you see us in our brokenness and your gospel story of the Bible tells us that you move towards the mess to renew and restore the beautiful, good thing that you created in the first place. And so... Although we sometimes tremble in our mess and we sometimes bring fear or doubt or shame into these seats, the truth is you bring love and grace and restoration. And so as we sit with that mixture of mess and unbelievable love brought to us by your grace, as we sit with that this morning, may that open our hearts up in new ways and and draw us into you and the life you have for us as we listen to what the scriptures have to say to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Very well-known, as far as Bible passages go, very well-known, very powerful through all times, all places, still to this day. But uh, this story is from farther back. Late in his life, Gilbert Green remembered a trip he once took with Abraham Lincoln. At the time, Lincoln was a young lawyer in Springfield, Illinois. Green was Lincoln's friend employed as a printer. Occasionally, he rode into the country with Lincoln to serve as a witness for an oral will. On this occasion, a dying woman dictated her will to the gangly lawyer. After she was done, she told him how relieved she was to join her family members in heaven. 
she asked Lincoln to read to her from the family Bible. Instead, he began to recite from memory the words of Psalm 23, especially emphasizing the words, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Green recalled that Lincoln went on to quote John 14 from memory. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Lincoln finished by reciting several hymns, closing with Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. The woman died while they were still together. Riding back that night, Green told Lincoln how surprised he was to see him function so perfectly as both lawyer and pastor. Lincoln replied, God and eternity and heaven are very near to me today. Psalm 23. Kevin Adams, in writing a book about the Psalms, he says, almost, unlike almost any other text, Psalm 23 speaks comfort in a way that transcends highly charged religious or irreligious boundaries. Bible Belt Southerners and East Coast agnostics, Buddhists and Hindus, Catholics and Protestants, and citizens of various religions participating in a Memorial Day parade have affirmed its inclusion, its inclusion. even among the most cynical and irreligious it works. We usually see Psalm 23 come up and, and get used and get held um, in times of great shock, uh, tragic loss, deep grief or sorrow. And some of you have perhaps encountered it that way. Some of you have perhaps found comfort from Psalm 23 in those kind of times. But I also wonder, in a church like ours that's relatively young and we haven't had death touch our community that much in the 11 years that we've been a community, I also wonder how Psalm 23 has a lot to say for us um, beyond just the kind of personal, individual comfort that we often look for when we read it or when we hear it. One of some of the things that have been bubbling to the surface really at City Life lately, things that I've noticed that we've talked about at our leadership team, really two things and uh, that I'd like to point out today is that there seems to be a, a bit of a hunger bubbling up. On the one hand, a hunger for, um, for going deeper in relationship together, for n being known and knowing each other. There's sort of a hunger for that. There's also a hunger for serving, reaching out into the broken world around us. A lot of times I'll get that as a first question from a visitor. It's like, well, what ways are you um, reaching out into the city, into the community around you? How can I participate in that? And so, whether, so those two things, whether you talk about it in some older school church language like koinonia and benevolence. You know, those are some church words, church lingo. Maybe, hopefully, maybe some of you haven't ever even heard them. Um, there's words like fellowship and outreach, or whether you want to put it in terms of our own mission statement. There's, you know, inviting new friends to encounter God's grace, connect with others, and serve in the city. So maybe connect and serve. However you want to put it, those things, I think, 
are bubbling up. And you might sit here this morning and maybe there's a way for you that one of those things rises to the surface more than the other. In what way maybe are you hungering for or wishing for your life to overlap more with others, to find yourself just almost as if accidentally having a meal at someone else's house from here and hanging out an extra two hours and having a blast. Um, You know, in what ways are you hoping to know people and be a little more honest maybe with others about what's really going on in your life beyond just attending something? Or maybe it bubbles up for you more the idea of service. In what ways are you wishing and longing for Maybe not just noticing and having thoughts about what's broken with the world around you, what's, where the pain and the hurt and the injustice is, but in what ways maybe are you wishing your life connected a little more and, and had, a, had a way that you were pretty confident you were addressing at least one tiny part of the injustice or the brokenness. Maybe you sit with some of that this morning. Maybe one of those things rises to the surface more than the other. And maybe once in a while you suspect, as you have those longings, maybe you have the suspicion that maybe at the bottom of that, maybe at the reason, one of the reasons why you're not maybe more serving or more outreaching as you could be, maybe it relates at a deep level to some kind of trust. You know, if I trusted more, then I would fill in the blank. And so we have this question of the week, actually, that asks exactly that question. We got some responses to it. What would you do if you really trusted? We asked this last week. We got a bunch of answers. One person just simply said, I would be more at peace. Someone else said, probably the exact same thing I'm doing now, I'd just be a lot less stressed. Someone else said, well... Trust falls would be different, wouldn't they? Anybody else done trust falls, right? Fall backward, you get caught, supposedly. I was once at a youth group event where the people didn't catch the person. It was a terrible mess. Yeah, backfire. Someone says, I would rely on God for everything and be willing to be vulnerable. Someone else said, I'd stop having any anxiety about any what-ifs if I really trusted. Someone else said, I'd try online dating. (laughs) What if you really trusted? Well, Psalm 23 really essentially at its base, at its root, it's it's a prayer and a song about trust, about real trust, about deep, confident, bold, courageous trust. And I think there's two things dealt with that relate to trust. The two things in Psalm 23 that are dealt with that often keep keep us from going out and following through on the connecting that we want to do or the serving we want to do. And I think that these two things are fear and scarcity mindset. And this psalm brings those out marvelously with all these powerful images. You could preach, you know, a 10-week series on Psalm 23, just spending time on each word, each verse, each image. But let's just look at how does it address fear and scarcity mindset. First of all, fear. You know the, the words are powerful when you go back. You, you maybe even have heard these, the King James version of this um, psalm that's probably the one culturally that has been the mo- had the biggest hold. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, 
they comfort me. I will fear no evil. What does that mean? What does that mean that there's the statement of just no fear? No fear at all for the one who has God as their shepherd. In our recent experiment bringing in foster kittens into our house, I see the difference of fear. You know, you get, a, you get one litter that's totally unafraid and you get another litter of these kittens and I don't know what happened to them, but they are terrified of everything. They are afraid. And so it takes a long time to get over that fear. You know, you just take a long, long time. And it's a lot less fun, right? And you feel uh, sometimes a lot less connection to, your, to these kittens because, you know, they... They're just afraid. All they, they, they're not trusting you. They're not afraid of you. They don't know, I don't know what they think is going to happen. And so what they end up, what they don't do is they don't um, play around you and they don't purr around you. Those two things, right? It's kind of like the playfulness and the intimacy are just not there because of the fear. And... I wonder if that's sort of a picture of what happens with us, especially as we, as, of course, as a church, we try to build community, we try to have connection. I wonder about the importance in, in what it says about play and playfulness and intimacy in community and how fear plays a role in that. Well, Psalm, you notice where Psalm 23 goes with that, with the fear. Thy rod and thy staff... They comfort me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What's going on there? The rod and the staff? Well, this is where we turn to one of the, one of the coolest books that I've ever read when it comes to the Bible, is this book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. So a real live shepherd from the Middle East writes this book. His name's Philip Keller, and he has incredible insights about how you look at Psalm 23 differently if you actually understand what it's like to be just an old-school shepherd with a flock of sheep day in and day out, and that's your job. So he talks about this, the rod and the staff. What is the rod? Well, the rod is basically this baseball bat type thing with a a thickness on one end and a perfect fit to the hand of the shepherd. It's carved to fit the hand. And the shepherd gets really good at throwing this so that it's the weapon to, to hit or kill or scare away you know, a lion, a wolf, whatever's um, the bear, the predator that's going to attack the sheep. This is what he says. The shepherd boy spends hours practicing with this club, learning how to throw it with amazing speed and accuracy. It becomes the main weapon of defense for both himself and his sheep. I used to watch the native lads having competitions to see who could throw his rod with the greatest accuracy across the greatest distance. The effectiveness of this these cruel, or I'm sorry, crude clubs in the hands of skilled shepherds was a thrill to watch. The rod was, in fact, an extension of the owner's right arm. It stood as a symbol of his strength, his power, his authority in any serious situation. The rod was what he relied on to safeguard both himself and his flock in danger. Makes you think about how maybe you're not trusting God as a shepherd with a powerful defense system in place 
against any of the evils or worries that you have. It makes you think about how often we're grabbing hold of anxieties and worries and we, we have these things, we have a list of things maybe, we have something coming up maybe, we have something that happened in the past maybe, and it creates this stir of real life specific things we're afraid of, dangers, worries, anxieties. And what this is saying to us is that God is like that shepherd with that incredible skill and power and might, sending and casting away. He's on guard. You can relax. What about staff? You know, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Well, what does Philip Keller tell us from the real shepherding world about that? He says the staff is also used for guiding sheep. It's like a long stick. Again and again, I have seen a shepherd use his staff to guide his sheep gently into a new path or through some gate or along dangerous, difficult routes. He does not use it actually to beat the beast. Rather, the tip of the long, slender stick is laid gently against the animal's side, and the pressure applied guides the sheep in the way the owner wants it to go. Makes me wonder how many of us are feeling that gentle touch from God in our lives right now in some specific way. Thus, the sheep is reassured of its proper path. Sometimes I have been fascinated to see how a shepherd will actually hold his staff against the side of some sheep that is a special pet or favorite, simply so that they are in touch. They will walk along this way almost as though it were hand in hand. The sheep obviously enjoys a special attention from the shepherd and revels in the close, personal, intimate contact between them. To be treated in this special way by the shepherd is to know comfort in a deep dimension. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And how does it go? Yea, though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Immanuel Kant, the great philosopher, said, I have read many intelligent and good books in my life, but I did not find anything in them that would have made my heart so quiet and glad like the four words from that 23rd Psalm. You are with me. And so the Christian, with this knowledge of God being like this expert shepherd with a rod in one hand and a gentle, loving uh, touch of a staff on the other hand, and this sense of, he's with me all the time, the Christian walks in, our, in the darkest valleys even with a totally different sense, with really what we call in this season of, of the year an Easter hope. That even what Easter tells us, even death, you know, the valley of the shadow of death, even death is no, no longer a source of fear. And so, because Jesus, who talked about himself as the good shepherd, and he was the shepherd who gave his life for the sheep, on, so he's the good shepherd, gives his life for the sheep on Good Friday, and, then, and that's how he demolished the burden of our brokenness and sin, and then goes on a day and a half later on Sunday to demolish the burden and the fear of death by rising from the dead. It's so perfect that City Life Church on Easter Sunday has a frolicking 
egg hunt in the cemetery. That's a perfect picture. The fear that a lot of people, the fear and ickiness or weirdness of being at a cemetery, nothing, nothing says the Christian's confidence of Psalm 23 and of the empty tomb like that. Children having a blast and being taught death no longer holds a hold over us. Psalm 23 and the New Testament and the empty tomb tell us that basically, man, if death, if Jesus rose from the dead, all fears are pointless to hang on to. None of you hang on to them, right? None of you hang on right? Of course, we're, you're all perfect at this. Of course, I'm perfect at this. No, the fears are invading all the time. They're always, it almost seems like we're afraid more often than not. And yet, Psalm, that's why we need Psalm 23. That's why we need sermons on Easter. But we're just constantly leaning into the direction of, no, let's, let's get closer and closer to these fears having no power in our lives. They're pointless. And one way it's put in the New Testament is perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love drives out fear. So friends, cast your fears aside. And in fact, with, with playfulness and courageous vulnerability and intimacy, enter in deeply to your new f- unlikely flock, this family it really is. That's how we talk about it in the church, that you are right here a new family. This is your new family where, where love and intimacy and dependability thrive. That's what the gospel does. That's what Psalm 23 does with fear. But also scarcity mentality. Real, real quickly. You know, in this, in this psalm, we talk, it talks about this, this abundance really is in the psalm. In all, a lot of different ways, it begins... Talking about green pastures and quiet waters, you get this feeling of like a retreat where there's just plenty and all the right stuff is there for you. And yet we seem to live with a sort of scarcity mentality quite often. Uh, Philip Keller again, I have a couple more um, uses of his book this morning. He talks about the neighboring sheep when he used to be a shepherd and how the shepherd next door was just a real slacker and you know not the good kind of shepherd and so he uses that as a counterpoint in what the sheep ended up looking like. He says every year these poor creatures were forced to gnaw away at bare brown fields and impoverished pastures. Every winter there was a shortage of nourishing hay and wholesome grain to feed the hungry ewes. Shelter to safeguard and protect the suffering sheep from the storms and blizzard was scanty and inadequate. They had only polluted muddy water to drink. There had been a lack of salt and other trace minerals needed to offset their sickly pastures. In their thin, weak, and diseased condition, these poor sheep were a pathetic sight. And you would think, by the way, a lot of us are always in kind of scarcity mentality. You would think that that's how we are viewing God, or that's how we're viewing the world that God has put us in. So often we almost trick ourselves into thinking that that's our circumstances. You know, everywhere you look, scarcity. No one seems to have enough. I don't have enough time. Certainly don't have enough money, right? Nobody ever has enough money. I don't have enough, I don't know, friends. I don't have enough memory in my smartphone. I don't have enough 
megabytes per second in my uh, internet at home. And then the commercials come along and they know this about us. And so everything's unlimited. And we go, ooh, ah, unlimited, yeah, tell me more. You know, in Samuel L. Jackson, if you've heard that one commercial for the Capital One card, unlimited. Nobody, nobody's heard that? Yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing. I didn't make it up. Unlimited. Calling it like the siren's call. Unlimited. Where does unlimited exist, right? It's like the fountain of youth, and we're all wandering around looking for finally to get enough. And let me tell you that the gospel transformation to look for in your own life if you're a Christian, if you really want to wonder when the gospel is taking root and where you're starting to see it, is when you slowly move towards believing, I have enough. Wait, maybe I have plenty. Wait, maybe it's overflowing. Maybe that's, maybe I have green pastures. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The New Testament gives us a lot of glimpses of this. Um, One of our passages this morning, I thought I had, maybe I don't have it, but, oh yeah, here it is. Um, It came out in Ephesians 2, in our words of assurance, when he said that, towards the end, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in, in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Immeasurable. In other places, Colossians 2, verse 2 and 3, says, says it this way, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely, Christ. This is how what we have as a Christian, this is how it's talked about, as if we have this treasure house, this storehouse, this massive inheritance that we didn't deserve, and it's just ours. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord. My Lord. Surpassing worth, abundance, inheritance. This, friends, this is what we have. And so, I don't know if you notice, if you're like a, maybe a literature, if you have that literature eye and you're reading through Psalm 23 and you see it starts off in shepherding analogies, but actually it, it switches a little bit and suddenly you're at, you're like at the table of a wealthy benefactor or king who has invited you in. You know, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. See, now we're not in the shepherding analogy anymore. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Suddenly you're in God's house and it's rich and it's abundant. You have everything you ever could possibly need. And so this psalm challenges our scarcity mentality. 
and says, you're ready. You're filled. You're filled. You're overfilled. You're flowing over. Get ready. Look around the, the world around you. Be every day tapping into the fullness of Christ and then letting that flow out in ways around you where God will lead. You're full. You have abundance. Drink deep. One last picture of a shepherd looking at Psalm 23. He says, In tending my sheep, I carried a bottle in my pocket containing a mixture of brandy and water. What's up with that? Whenever a ewe or lamb was chilled from undue exposure to wet, cold weather, I would pour a few spoonfuls down its throat. In a matter of minutes, the chilled creature would be on its feet and full of renewed energy. It was especially cute the way the lambs would wiggle their tails with joyous excitement as the warmth from the brandy spread through their bodies. The important thing was for me to be there on time, to find the frozen, chilled sheep before it was too late. I had to be in the storm with them, alert to everyone that was in distress. I want you to imagine God in this way. Some of the most vivid memories of my sheep ranching days are wrapped around the awful storms my flock and I went through together. I can see again the gray-black banks of storm clouds sweeping in off the sea. I can see the sleet and hail and snow sweeping across the hills. I can see the sheep racing for shelter in the tall timber. I can see them standing there, soaked, chilled, dejected. Especially the young lambs went through appalling misery without the benefit of a full, heavy fleece to protect them. Some would succumb and lie down in distress, only to become more cramped and chilled. Then it was that my mixture of brandy and water came to their rescue. I'm sure the Palestinian shepherds must have likewise shared their wine with their chilled and frozen sheep. And what a picture of my master. This is the author talking about Jesus now. Sharing the wine the very lifeblood of his own suffering from his overflowing cup. Poured out at Calvary for me. He is there with me in every storm. My shepherd is alert to every approaching disaster that threatens his people. He has been through the storms of suffering before. He bore our sorrows and was acquainted with our grief. And now no matter what storms I face, His very life and strength and vitality is poured into mine. It overflows so the cup of my life runs over with his life, often with great blessing and benefit to others who see me stand up so well in the midst of trials and suffering. Let's pray. Our Lord and our Shepherd, Maybe we're afraid. Maybe we're today in scarcity mode. Maybe we wish for more connection and community, but there's stuff in the way. Maybe we don't even know how to do it. So this morning, the powerful, time-tested words of Psalm 23 speak to us. And we ask that through them and through your Holy Spirit's constant work in our hearts, 
that you would stir something in each of us. That you'd stir something really in all of us as a community to live together as your flock. Playful, courageous sheep. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.